If you've got your Bibles and you'd like to follow where we're going, the words will appear on the screen, but uh, we'll be looking in Mark chapter 5 and uh, some other bits. But we'll, we'll start in, in Mark chapter 5 in a few moments. And, and here's a question then for you to ponder. What's important today... Or maybe this isn't a question, maybe this is more of a statement. Um, what's important for you today was not important for you ten years ago. Did you know that? Okay. And what's important for you in ten years from now, you don't even know about. Things that are important change. But one thing that I know does not change is the fact that you are, are important. So this is one of those um, really uncomfortable moments that Dave does. And could you just turn to somebody around you and tell them that they are really important? Just, just share that amongst each other. Do you know how important you are? You are really important. I, I know this. I know this. Uh, and I'm going to back it up theologically, biblically for us this morning. But the fact is that you are really important extremely important. And the thing about the importance that you hold um, actually is a timeless importance because you've been important from the moment that you were a dream to when you became a reality and through your life and into eternity. You see, when the psalmist writes and reminds us of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He reminds us that He knew us before we were born. Psalm 139 takes us to that place of a recognition of how important you are. And when I say you are, I I do do want to say, and I am too, because I'm not leaving myself out of this. I'm important too. And things that are important, one of the things is as well, is you have to be very careful, certainly in, in, in my position, and maybe you in, in your position, in, in situations you find yourself in, um, there's things that are important, and then there's things that are urgent. You know, sometimes there's something that's urgent, and then, and then there's those things that are important. Sometimes things that are important aren't urgent, and some things that are urgent aren't important. Except for the times when somebody else feels that their urgency should be your importance. I had a phone call um, last week from somebody who was telling me that um, I needed to go and visit somebody and uh, pray around their house. They had uh, moved into a new house and uh, this person had spoken to this other person and said, I'll get the minister from Basingstoke Baptist to come and pray around your house. And this guy says, oh, fantastic. Can he do it Saturday morning? And this guy says, oh, I'll ask him to do it Saturday morning. I get this phone call from a guy telling me that um, he's organized for me to go on a Saturday morning and pray around this person's house. Do you know my answer? No. No, I'm, I'm not going to do that. You're not in charge of, of my diary. Now, I didn't just say no. I took the details. Um, I sounded as if I might do something, but I was non-committal. And then I rang up the guy who's moved into his new house to find out the situation. And then I find out he moved into his house three months ago. <laughs> Urgent, important. 
So I then spoke to him and said, well, this is my situation. I would absolutely love to come and pray around your house. I have um, a sense that that's an important thing to do around your home. Um, When we moved into our new home here at the manse, first thing we did as a whole family, we anointed each other and then we prayed through each room. We don't know what's gone on in that house before us. There's arguments and upsets. There was a divorce, a separation. There may have been abuse. We've no idea what residue was being held in that place. So we prayed out and we commit every single room to the Lord Jesus. I agree that it's a good thing to do. If you've never done that in your house, you need to do that in your house. Consecrate your space to God. Anyway, important, urgent. What I find with Jesus is that there are times when things that other people thought were important were not uh, of his importance. He didn't see that as an importance. And I'll just go flip back again because I've just remembered what the verse is that I've... Oh, I didn't do that. How are you getting on with try praying? See, this is the pass it on to somebody else period. If you've passed your book on to somebody else, could you get another book from the back? And give one to somebody else. I'm starting to pick up testimonies from people who said that uh, they offered it to someone and they refused it. I need to say that that is a win. The enemy will tell you you failed, but that is a win. The fact that you were bold enough to offer a try praying booklet to somebody is a win. Now we've just got to find the win that's going to bring about the person taking it and, and reading it. There will be someone. So if you've given one away, grab another one. If you're yet to give yours away, can you start seeking God earnestly and say, Lord, and don't give them all to earnest. I mean, I see him sat down there, but earnestly means I want to seek God and know exactly the person to give it to, okay? That was something else I was going to talk about. Here we are. Let's find ourselves in this story. And the point here today is just to remind us that how important we are and the importance that God places upon us. You are important. This is Jesus. He's crossed the lake uh, to the region of the uh, Gerasenes. That's a... um, a Gentile region. There's the Jews and then you've got the Gentiles. These are the non-Jewish people. So this is a region of people who, for, in, in, let's just say, don't know God, the true God. So Jesus is moving into uh, an area where people are not worshipping God. So he went across the lake to the region of the Gezerines. Then Jesus got out of the boat And a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. So news has got out that Jesus has crossed the lake, Jesus has landed, and before anybody else could get alongside Jesus, this demon-possessed individual turns up. For he'd been chained hand and foot, uh, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. One of the things that I've come to realize in my 
walking with God and my relationship with Jesus is, I need a strong Jesus. I need a strong Jesus. I need a Jesus who's going to be willing to stand alongside me through some pretty awful stuff that I go through. I need a compassionate Jesus, a loving Jesus, a comforting Jesus, but that never sidelines the fact that I need a strong Jesus. If we're going to get it through to the other side, if we're going to find our place of of freedom and liberty, we need to know that the one that we're coming to is strong. And here we have an encounter where the strong Jesus meets a man who is being influenced by the demonic. The story continues. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. This is one of those moments that I just think to myself, ah, Jesus knew where he was going when he crossed over the lake. He knew where he was going. Jesus used to take time out. Jesus used to spend time on his own. He went to a quiet place up on the hillside, mountainside, away from the disturbances of the town and the demands of individuals. He even left his uh, beloved disciples. He went away to a quiet place. Now here we have a situation where there is a man here who would cry out and cut himself night and day. There were times, I am sure, that Jesus was sat on a hillside in the middle of the night, communicating with his heavenly Father, where in the distance he would have heard the shrieks and the screams of this man. It's one of those situations where we come to a revelation, a realization that God knows us and he hears us. He knows us and he hears us. When you're calling out to the Lord, no, he hears your voice. When you're screaming out in the night over whatever the circumstance or situation, know that he hears you. Here we have Jesus encountering a man, a man who saw Jesus from a distance, but the thing about it is I believe that Jesus heard him from even further away. Those who call upon the Lord, he answers. He answers. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. I I just recognize that goodness and evil cannot coexist. Goodness drives out evil. Light always drives out darkness. When you open the door to a room and there's a light in the corridor and you open the door into a darkened room, light always floods in, darkness never floods out. And Jesus, the light of the world, Jesus, the personification of goodness, he is the son of the most high God, standing in the presence of this individual who is uh, demon-oppressed. 
and the demons don't like it. I, I remember there was a time, I remember there was this time and uh, I, I was uh, being spoken about uh, as the church leader in my previous church and uh, the guy who was speaking about me, this guy and his wife, were talking about the things that were happening at church because they were part of the church and they were sharing that with a, a builder who was working on their property. Well, over a period of time, this amazing couple led this guy to the Lord and he committed his life to Christ in their back garden uh, as he was building an extension. And they said, well, you wait, you, you need to meet Dave. We'll get Dave to come round this week. And I can remember getting a call saying, would you come up and meet this bloke, Paul? And uh, I remember driving onto the driveway of this couple's house and there was this guy at the other end of the driveway, which I presume to be the builder. He looked across at me as I pulled in the car and he ran. And I, I, I went to the house, rang on the doorbell and uh, I said, hi, I've you know, popped around and see, you know, and see you and Paul. And they said, well, Paul should be out the front. I said, well, I saw this bloke out the front, but he ran when I arrived. And it was really interesting because Phil went out to find Paul. And when Phil came back, he said, it's an amazing situation. He said, the moment that you came onto the drive, he knew who you were. And he said, there was so much junk in his life. He said, he didn't feel he could face you. We worked that one through. But goodness and evil cannot coexist. You might remember there's that phenomenal situation in uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Do you remember in the year that King Isaiah died, uh, there was this encounter in the temple. And I think it was probably the first sermon that I preached here when I preached with a squint before I preached with a view to become the minister here. So this was November 2000, no it was, yeah, 2016. And I spoke about the fact that there was the, uh, the wow, the woe, and the go. Do you remember that one? Okay. Wow. First of all, Isaiah is taken up and amazed by the, the, the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim flying around and it was this uh, awesome presence of God. And it was like, wow, this is phenomenal. But the moment after the wow was the fact that, oh my goodness, I'm standing in the presence of a holy God. Woe is me, says Isaiah. This is a woe is me moment for this guy who finds himself in the presence of Jesus. The story goes on. When Jesus asked him, what's your name? My name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. He begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. Legion, many. A legion is 600. 600 military Soldiers, a legion of soldiers. So this guy is well and truly occupied by evil. And they are the ones who are communicating with Jesus. Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. 
The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down a steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. Well, you would. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed men and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Just to reiterate, you are important. You are important. I know that you are important because the story that I'm reading is that the focus is upon one individual. Jesus goes a sail trip across the lake to an individual who's been crying out for help. And he meets him and he brings him freedom and release. And he says to this guy through these actions, you are important. You see, if you carry back, let's go back to uh, chapter 4. Oh, that's, that's good, look. You're important. I think I just said that. Chapter 4. Jesus has been uh, ministering, and uh, that day the evening came. He says to his disciples this. He says, let's go over. This is just before what has just happened with uh, Legion and the pigs. So he says, let's go over to the other side. So Jesus is saying, there's somebody we need to meet. There's somebody we need to meet, and it's not here It's over there. So we're going to go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. And that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He's not swayed by crowds. He's not swayed by popularity. He's not having to draw. It's not about how many Instagram buddies he's got or Facebook friends. His influence is about who he is. And that's it. And he is God. Leave the crowds behind. We've been ministering here. We've got something else to do. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There are also other boats with him. That's also interesting because you think he's going across on his own, but it seems that there's a flotilla of boats who are heading across the lake. They want to be with Jesus. It seems to be uh, a pattern that we come to again and again and again. Other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the back of the boat, asleep on a cushion. You see, where Jesus was, there was no storm. He can sleep through the storm because in him there was no storm. When we get panicky about things, circumstances and situations that we don't understand, suddenly we're flown into a a panic and what if, what about that, what about the other, what about that. The main reason we find ourselves there is because we have not found our place of peace. We don't know who we are. We don't know how important we are. We don't know whose we are and therefore panic mode. Yet in the midst of a storm, Jesus is asleep. The reason being, because where Jesus was, there was no storm. We can find ourselves in that very same place if only we pursue him and put him as our priority. So the disciples panic. 
they're getting all upset. Uh, it's nearly swamped. They're fishermen, so they're going to be a little bit upset because uh, they should be experts at this. But even experts get worried. But Jesus isn't. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? What I love about this is, even in the storm, they knew where to go. When you're in your storm, know where to go. It's as simple as, Jesus, bring me your peace in this place. Forgive me for not trusting you. I need your peace in this place. So he gets up, rebukes the wind and says to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. The only other instances that we have of rebuking is when Jesus is rebuking evil spirits. And he's now in a situation where he's rebuking nature. Unless, of course, that Jesus discerns that this very activity of the storm is about derailing his plan and his purpose to meet a guy who has a legion of evil spirits in him. And then what you do is you start to work out the stuff that I'm going through here that isn't good may be the fact that I'm going through this is because the place that God is taking me to is going to be a place of victory. It's going to be a place of, of promotion, of blessing, of impact, of influence. And here's Jesus, finds himself in a storm, and I believe the enemy is stirring up a storm to stop Jesus from impacting an individual who's been tormented by a legion of demons. Because that man will have influence. You see, here's the situation. Let me tell you something. Um, Rob is uh, an archer. Isn't that right, Rob? You do a bit of archery. Do you not an archer? Oh, you'll shoot, you shoot um, air guns and things. Okay. Well, this is a word for you. Start doing archery. Is there anybody here who's an archer? Robin. Okay. Okay. Robin Hood, of course. The thing about it is, listen, uh, let's just work this one out. So you've got the, the sticky bit of the bow, right? And then you've got the stringy bit, Yeah. You got that? So I'm holding on to the sticky bit, the stick, and then I've got this. Do you notice, though, that the distance that I pull the arrow back with this string is relative to the distance that that arrow will fly when I let the string go? The further I pull back this string, the further the arrow will go. And I see this in so many people's lives as the enemy starts to push back, push back, push back. And he thinks he's going to break us. He thinks he's got influence over us. He thinks he's going to derail God's plans over our lives. And he pushes back and pushes back and pushes back. But the thing about it is, what he doesn't realize, he's not that bright, is the fact that the further back we go, the further forward we will go. At this moment in time, church, I believe we are under enemy attack. I wholeheartedly believe it. There has been sickness coming over us as a fellowship that is unprecedented. We have a brother who is uh, pursuing God with passion, leading us in worship, serving the church here today, who has a brain tumour that has to be removed. If that's not enemy activity then I don't know what is. 
Sickness and disease is not from God. And therefore, what do we say? What do we discern? This is why I say to us together, we need to gather together to pray. And the first Tuesday of June, we prayed together. As, is it the second Tuesday? Whatever one it was, the church prayer meeting, it was the largest prayer meeting that I've been to on our monthly prayer meeting. But that, you can't just leave it there. Oh, we've just noticed there's a few issues going on, therefore we need to come to pray. That needs to be our persistent pattern from now on. Malcolm's leading us in prayer on the first Tuesday in, in July. There needs to be more here. Because the enemy is pushing us back. And if we are going to take ground, then we've got to come back with the power of prayer. That's where I stand. I cannot believe that the things that are happening amongst us are because it's just normal and natural. This is a supernatural attack upon the plans and the purposes of our Savior. And the call upon each and every one of us is that we would rise up. That we wouldn't feebly sit back and say, oh, woe is us. We'd actually say, no, I'm going on the offensive. Matt's home at this moment in time. He's recovering from the operation to remove a tumor. He by the doctor's diagnosis, needs to continue with future treatment. That's chemotherapy and radiotherapy. But the thing about it is our God is bigger. We don't stop praying, we press in. Because the further that the enemy wants to push us back, the further we are going to take ground forward. And I'm not having the enemy running roughshod over you. I pray for you as you pray for me. And we pray for one another. So make sure. I'm on holiday, actually, in France on the first uh, Tuesday in July, so I'm not going to be here, but I'll be with you in prayer. Skype me. (laughs) Hallelujah. Here we go. He rebukes the storm. Why are you so afraid, says Jesus? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. God is in control. But here's the deal we need to take on board here. I believe that it's the enemy's desire to derail the plans of Jesus to sink release over this individual. His legion. So similar to us. He finds himself amongst the tombs. The only company that he could find was amongst the dead. Do you know, do you know that Jesus is the only one who gives us life in all its fullness? Do you know that? That means that unless somebody has come to faith in Christ, they're dead. They're dead. So we all find ourselves in the same place. We have an opportunity. We've got a book called Try Praying. Why are we giving that book out? Because we want to see people coming from death to life, out of darkness into life. Legion. He hangs around dead people like you and I hang around dead people. When you're on the treadmill down the gym, the person next to you might very well be dead, spiritually. And you have the opportunity to bring life and light to them. Stood in the queue in Asda or Sainsbury's or if you're really rich, Waitrose or really, really rich, M&S. Wherever you're shopping, you'll be surrounded by people who have yet to come into the revelation of the love of God and to be aware that they are important. 
hanging around the tombs. This guy's hanging around the tombs, around the dead. So similar to us. And legion. Legion. All of these personas, these spirits that are in him. You know, you're all the same. We have our Sunday morning you. So just look around. This is Sunday morning you. Just look around and say, hi, Sunday morning people. Hi, Sunday morning people. This is Sunday morning people. These people here as Sunday morning people are different to Saturday evening people. Or Saturday morning people. Or Wednesday morning people. It's just the way that, that sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I'm glad people don't see me here. Because they'd never believe that I was like this. We have the way that we are when we're under pressure. We have the, the way that we are when we're dealing with upset and, and annoyance. We have, oh, have you just seen that leaflet about changing the days that our bins are going to be emptied? Oh, my goodness. That's going to cause somebody trauma. It's not going to cause Carol any trauma, though, because she'll sort that out. Legion, our personalities, our traits, the different ways that we behave. And Jesus wants to meet us. He wants to meet us in those places where we gather wanting to see him and for him to see us on a Sunday. But he wants to meet us in our darkest places where we struggle, where sin continues to invade and steal from us the joy of our salvation. He wants to meet us when we are struggling. The legions that he wants to set us free from. Somebody once asked me, is, you know, can a Christian be uh, demon-possessed? And my understanding of that is no. Because what you've invited is the, the, the very presence of God himself into you. And for the presence of God to be in you, there's no room for the evil one to have any room over you. But you can be oppressed. And I think that the enemy's voice continues to speak into our lives. Our sinful nature continues to try and lead us out of a relationship with the one who says, you are important. That's what I wanted you to know this morning, is that you are important, that Jesus goes the extra mile for this individual who he hears crying in the night, who he releases from the influence of uh, the enemy. And his schemes. And we know it, John 10.10. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what he does. And he does it brilliantly. (laughs) And pigs. Have you ever wondered about the pigs? Having worked in an indoor pig unit. And I loved pigs. I mean, I just just love pigs. Um, I don't think they're that good swimmers somehow. But... I never ever saw a pig swim, but then that's not how we were bringing them up. But let me talk to you about pigs. Let me talk to you about pigs. They asked Jesus to to leave the region. Jesus is getting into the boat. The man, oh no, I don't want to go that far as yet. Let me talk to you about pigs. Oh, this is quite cool actually. I've thought about this. This is a region of Gentiles. Therefore, Gentiles could rear and, and, and grow and sell pigs. Pigs is an unclean animal amongst Jews, and therefore Jews don't have anything to do with pigs. The thing about it is, this is a herd of 2,000 pigs. 
The enemy, here's what the enemy has done. The enemy has taken control of one individual. Jesus encounters this individual and when goodness and evil come face to face, goodness overpowers and this man is set free from the demonic oppression. But where do the demons go? The demons end up in the pigs. Why are the demons going to end up in the pigs? In my mind, it's a, a group of people who own these pigs, who are Gentiles. This is their big business. The enemy decides, right, if I can't get this one, I will make sure that the one, Jesus, is not welcome here and is eradicated from amongst us. So therefore, it will send the spirits into the pigs. The pigs will go and drown themselves. Because the pigs have drowned themselves, everybody who gets money out of the pigs is going to be upset. The whole town is going to be in uproar and they're going to banish Jesus. So therefore, the gospel message stops dead. That's the plan. (laughs) But what they didn't take into account was Jesus. You see, the enemy will always try and hurt you in the place most valuable. He will always try and hurt you in the place most valuable. What's most valuable to you? That's going to be the place where there'll be a struggle. That's where the battle is going to be. Whether it's your finances, that'll be the place of struggle. Whether it is your family, that will be the place of struggle. Health and wholeness, that will be your place of struggle. Your continued walking in your relationship with Jesus, that may very well be your place of struggle. The enemy will always look at that place that you say is the most valuable and ensure that's the place where you struggle the most. He's only after stuff that's valuable. Stuff you don't care about, he don't care about. So here's the value. 2,000 pigs on a hillside. That'll get rid of Jesus, except for this. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. He's set free. He's of his right mind. He now has met the one who is the freedom giver, and he wants to give his life to him. The change that has happened in his life is so dramatic, he wants to follow Jesus. That's the call. When Jesus has turned your darkness into light, you want to follow the light giver. When you were hopeless and he's brought you hope, you want to associate and be with the one who is bringing hope. This guy wants to be with Jesus. But Jesus says, no, go home to your family. This is where you start with. The change that God's brought into your life, make sure that it's visible to those in your family, your closest people. If you're keeping the stuff of God in your life away from your family, then you need to sort that out now. Give them a book called Try Praying. It's really simple to do because all you say is, because they know you go to church. I think they know you go to church because you're never around on a Sunday morning. So they must know something's going on. And I don't know what's on telly on Sunday morning because I haven't been around on a Sunday morning for ages. But I'm away on holiday, so I'm going to have a look on Sunday mornings what's on telly. No, I'm in France, so I can't do that because I don't understand French and I won't be able to watch the telly. Anyway. When it comes down to it, they know that you go to church. They know that you're doing something bonkers. So give them a book. Here. Dave at church got us all to read this. And we're meant to pass it on. And I can't think of any who to pass it to. Would you have it? Just so that I can get off of his case. 
because he's bugging me. And they might just do it because they love you. All right, we'll take that from you just so that Dave doesn't bang on and you feel uncomfortable. Here's what's happening here. Go home to your family. Tell them what's happened to you. They'll see it because you haven't got any chains and you're not living in the tombs any longer. See how much the Lord has done for you. How much has the Lord done for you? Are you willing to tell people what he's done for you? And then how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were Amazed. This guy has become a missionary. So when you stop and you think that Jesus on a hillside in his time of prayer has heard the screams across the other side of the lake, who sets himself to leave the crowd and cross the lake, encounter this bloke amongst the tombs, have an issue with people and their pigs, and you think to yourself, this is how important... He felt that this man was. But listen to this. This is how important God thinks you are. He was willing to leave the glories of heaven to come down upon this earth that he created, live a sinless life, and offer himself as a sacrifice, dying on a cross to remind you, inform you, how important you are. He didn't just cross a lake for you. He hung on a cross for you. You're important. You are so important. Allow me to lead you in prayer.